Welcome back to Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM. Scott Sharp is back with us, off on holidays for what, the last five weeks? The last five weeks I've been uh, OS. I've sent a lot of very, very nice plant-based material to talk about. Excellent. So we'll be there this autumn, wouldn't it? Yes, I was there just as we got to autumn. I was in the UK and then we went to Spain. Yeah, autumn, yep, sorry. Autumn, yeah, it's the it's the opposite to us. So, yeah, beautiful gardens, beautiful parklands over there. So over the next few weeks, I'll, I'll divulge and, and tell you about what I saw over there. Oh, excellent. And any tips for us down here in Australia? Yes, I think we can do that as well. I was also going to talk about birdscaping gardens, star jasmine, and any other problems you might have if you'd like to give us a call today. Now, Scott, you were over in Europe for the last five weeks. This makes me sound like some sort of jet setter, doesn't it? It does sound like, it sounds like a big... Big spender as well. Yeah, look, I, I guess, I don't know. well, I, I was doing it on the cheap. I stayed in hostels, pretty much camping on the streets, camping on the streets, jet star over there. You know, I did it hard. It is it tough. <laughs> <laughs> we buy boats. That's why we were away for five weeks. Yeah, I was only actually in the UK for about you know one day. I had to turn around and come straight <laughs> back. <laughs> that was awful. But look, saw some fantastic gardens over there, and it was a great time of year. Uh, although uh, when we were in uh, England, the uh, temperatures started to get up a little bit. They had their so-called heat wave. It got to 28, oh, right. 30 degrees. Oh, jeez. Oh, no, it was so hot. I've been terrible for them. So hot, and, and they complain about it. It's only like that for 30 minutes of the day, and then it goes away. I did notice in the photos you showed me, still wearing a jumper. Uh, yes, that was uh, when we were up north. It got a little bit chilly there, but uh, the Brits, they had their shirts off. Fair like, enough. Yeah, yeah, basting like lobsters they were. They're a strange breed over there. They're a strange <laughs> breed, but uh, that's why we're all here. Uh, yeah, look, and Tower Bridge, uh, we were walking around there and we came across this fantastic little park called Pottersfield Park. Right. Uh, it's down in the old wharf area there. It, it overlooks the, the Tower Bridge, you know, that sort of famous bridge there in London that opens up and was in the last Spider-Man movie. Yeah. It was. And uh, look, the, the plants in there were fantastic. And I'm just going to talk about one particular one that I saw there and really took my fancy. It was called Brunnera macrophylla. And there's a, a, a version of it called Jack Frost. And we actually get that one here in Australia. Oh, excellent. I was about to ask you if there's a common name for it. Yes, yeah, Jack Frost. So what it is, it's a little low-growing perennial plant, has heart-shaped leaves. Uh, they're, they're very they're a silver appearance with a, a sort of a light green outline. They also get a really nice little blue flower about them. Uh, they just form clumps. They just spread out across the ground, and they just looked fantastic uh, over there. Uh, look, they probably get to about... Uh, oh, I'm trying to convert... Uh, about 18 inches high, you know, 30 centimetres or so high, okay, 30, yep. 40 centimetres high. And, uh, yeah, not look, that they just... Good amount of height, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Here in Australia, though, the only problem with it, with them is that they would like a little bit of shade. Uh, over there in uh, Pottersfield Park, they were out in the, in, pretty much out in the full sun, uh, and they were doing very, very well. So here in Australia, a nice little sort of cool, shady spot. Look perfect for beds, borders, uh, you know, underplanting other shrubs, roses uh, around trees. Uh, look, they're pretty easy to grow as well. Uh, you can propagate them by division or you can take uh, root cuttings to dig them up and sort of spread them around uh, in, in winter when they've uh, sort of died back a little bit. So that sounds like a good filler. Yeah, it is a good filler plant and it, uh, it will die off a little bit in winter. I've actually got one uh, in a pot uh, on my front veranda. It faces the south. Uh, I only get about three or four leaves off it every year, but it does look fantastic. And then in winter, it sort of dies back a little bit. Uh, it doesn't die off completely. Um, but it, look, it, the only thing I would say about it, yeah, in my experience, if it's very hot, then the leaves will die off. Uh, give it a prune back then, it'll tidy up. So that was called uh, Brunnera macrophylla jack frost. It's strange Jack Frost doesn't grow in winter. 
Yeah, you wonder about that, don't yeah. you? You'd yeah. think with a name like Jack Frost, yeah, you'd be peaking in winter. I think it's because of the silvery look of the oh, leaves, right. yes. Yeah. But the beautiful blue flowers are fantastic. Uh, that was in Pottersfield Park over in London, just uh, one of the first plants I saw there. So I guess as time goes on today, we might talk about a couple of the other plants that I saw in that park as well. And we've got Steve from Barnsley, and he's got a question about the standard rose. Uh, Steve, how can we help you? Hello, Scott. Um, we have all my friends up at Westie. Uh, I have the Scott Sharp Rose. That's yes, yes, we remember very well, yep. <laughs> <laughs> These roses were already there. Yeah. And um, there's a standard rose that keeps shooting suckers up. Ah, oh, okay, yes. Now, I know I can't move it yet, but. Um, is it because the graft has been planted below the ground? No. So with a standard rose and they're up on those long stems, that's actually a wild briar rose uh, that you you know you see as the stem. And then when you get to the head of the rose, that's where the iceberg or you know the Mr Lincoln or whatever rose uh, it is has been butted yes, off. Yes. yes. So yep, yep. what sometimes happens though is that if people are tilling around below their roses, they might damage the root system. Uh, or the plant might be stressed for some reason. So it will start sending up suckers from below that. So that wild briar rose is trying to to come good and grow again. Uh, Look, the only thing you can do is keep on cutting them off. Uh, Try and do it actually down below the soil. I don't know why that works, but that's just the old uh, sort of wives' tale that I've heard for so many years. If you cut it off below the soil, it it kills it. And it does I have have done that, mate, um, in the past. And then, how do you, what do you think about the old old wives' tale? Is it is it true or? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I can't work out why you. I mean, you cut it uh, above the the soil and it, it keeps on growing again. But you cut it below the soil and it dies off. It maybe that it's yes. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a new ones um, that shoot up yeah. from a different area. Yeah, and look, yes. there's there's nothing you can really do except to. It, you know, except keep cutting those keep off. You can't, of, yeah, you can't poison them or anything. Um, because oh, that will, no. <laughs> no, that'll affect the whole row. So don't go doing that. Uh, look, no, that, no. that's the only thing I've really got to say to you is, um, yeah, just keep on pruning them down below the soil and uh, make sure your plant's nice and healthy, that it's being well fed, well watered. Uh, yes. Try not to till around too much and damage that root and stress the plant out. Uh, so, right yeah, that's that's really the only secret to it. I wish I knew. Oh, by the way, yes. the Shiraz, yes. Scott Sharp Rose, is going absolutely fantastic. Good, and everything's shooting on now after uh, winter prunes oh, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, mate. Did you? Uh, what was your feeding regime this year? Um, I have pigeons, yes. and I give that to them to put around, just not near the roots. Yes. Which I've said. Yeah. Um, and water that in. Okay, yeah, that, look, that's that's great. I mean, pigeon poo is probably like chook poo and it would be uh, high in yes. nitrogen. So, yeah, that's that's very good, yeah. All right, mate. Okay, good on you, Steve. Thanks, Scott. Okay, cheers. Cheers, thanks, Steve. It's gardening talk, sorry. Oh, I was going to yeah. say, I was gonna, but now that Steve's gone, I was going to tell a little secret about uh, when I was overseas, actually. Uh, I had pigeon for dinner. It was quite tasty. Oh, okay, right. Yes, so Obviously, Steve's a pigeon lover, so he probably didn't want to hear that. But uh, No, I don't think Steve would have loved no, to hear no. that you've had pigeon for dinner. I, I, you... I didn't catch it myself. It, like, it was actually at a restaurant. I thought you said like a pigeon may have relieved itself on you or something. Or... No, no, no. No, I actually had one for dinner. It was uh, very tasty. Delightful. Yes.
bit of game. A bit of game, yes. Yeah. Game for some game. Yes. And you've got a couple of plants for us, which you're going to mention on a little bit later as well. Yeah, I was, I was going to work our, work our way through the different gardens and places that I uh, went to see. And uh, one of them was uh, we, in London, I guess we're starting out. That's where I first went to. And yep. some beautiful plants in, in Potter's Field, which is a park near uh, Tower Bridge over there near the River Thames. And we've got Fred from Weston. And he's got a question about the apricot tree. Hello, Fred. How can we help you with it? Uh, good, thanks, Scott. Look, I'm sorry, but it's a nectar tree. I got them mixed up. I have a nectar and an apricot. No, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, so they taste a little bit different, but uh, we can work it out for you. What's, what's, what's going on? Uh, well, I bought them a couple of months ago, and I planted them in the backyard. The nectar tree was in blossom when I bought it, but, of course, they died off. But yes. now it's came up to start to shoot fresh leaves, and some of the leaves are getting a little red, a little, little wart, like about as big as a match head. Yes, Okay. On, on the leaves, and I just wonder what they might be, or how can I control them, or is it a worry, or... Uh, look, it, it could be. I'd, I would think that uh, if you're getting those little warts, they can have a little sap-sucking insect um, doing that damage. So the, the little insect, little aphid or thrip comes in, uh, especially on the new foliage, stings it and has a suck out of there, damages that uh, tissue there, and then it curls up and you get that wart effect there. Uh, look, to keep that under control, I'd be uh, spraying with uh, something like eco-oil. Uh, it just forms a natural protective coating over the plant, uh, so you can still eat the fruit off it. It's not going to affect that. There's no withholding period on the fruit. Uh, and it's a nice, uh, you know, sort of non-harmful uh, spray to be using. It doesn't affect bees or anything like that. Um, so that's called eco-oil. Just spray it on every couple of weeks, and that uh, should protect the plant generally. That could stop a little red... Waters, I call them, about as big as a match head, and they uh, they start off yellow, and then they just slowly as they they redden up sort of thing. But they're not on every leaf; they're only on certain leaves. But so what's the echo? Uh, eco oil is the is eco the oil. yeah. That's what that's what I'm thinking for you to use, just to form a little protective coating. Right. Oh, yeah. and will these affect the nectar tree too, or the apricot tree? Will they those trees? Uh, sorry, will it affect the apricot tree? Look, I, I would spray both just to uh, to create a little barrier and uh, like just as a preventative spray. All right, then. Thank you very much, Scott. That's very, very nice to know. That's all right. Not a problem at all. Should I get fruit off these two early trees or will I have to wait next year? Sorry, say again, please. Will I get fruit off these trees this year? Or Look, it's they, pro- probably a bit young. Up? You might get a couple on there, but really you want it to, at the moment to put uh, the energy into uh, the growing of the plant. So any uh, fruit there, you might just pick it off at this point in time. Right, then. Thanks very much, Scott. That's all right. Look, the, the, the other thing that uh, your, your nectarins and your stone fruit can get uh, is like a, a leaf curl that they get, which is a fungal disease. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's probably worth, if you're going and getting some of that eco-oil, to get another product like... Uh, cop- yeah, well, get, there's another product called copper oxychloride, which is a fungicide. So uh, you're probably best to have that on hand, ready to go once we get to those humid months of the year here in Newcastle. Well, thanks, again, Scott. thanks very much for that. Okay, good on you, Fred. Thank you. Good on you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks, Fred. We've got Maxine now from Singleton, and she needs advice about cutting back her mandarin tree. Hello, Maxine. How can we help? Uh, I just wondered about the mandarin tree. Yes. I haven't got around to prune it back yet, but it's covered in blossoms now. Do I do it or not? Uh, look, I'd, I'd wait now because if you go and prune that plant back now, you're going to prune off uh, you know, any chance to have fruit off it this year. Uh, so usually you, d- you do that once it's finished its fruiting and flowering. You go and give the plant a nice hard prune. 
All right, so just let it keep flowering and leave it for now. Yeah, look, definitely. And you can be pretty hard with a citrus tree. Uh, you can cut them back quite hard because all the fruiting and flowering comes on the new growth. Uh, so, you know, I'd, I'd keep a mandarin tree, you know, probably only a couple of metres tall and just try and get a nice full shape to it. Uh, but, oh, good. Yeah, certainly leave it at the moment uh, because if you go pruning now, you won't get any fruit this year. Right. And the other thing too, while I've got you, yeah. is uh, I'm not much of a gardener. My husband used to do it till he passed, but I'm trying to keep things going. But the mango tree, he planted a mango tree about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Now it's got all these flowery things coming on the end of that. Is that the mangoes? That, yeah, that's the mango. You've, you've, you've lucked out there. You're going to have mangoes this year. Oh, very good. Every branch has got them. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, no, look, that's the mangoes. It's great that they're coming on early as well uh, because you want it to, uh, you know, that fruit to come on nice and early and use the, the heat of the summer to, to ripen up. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like you're doing really well up there, Margaret. Ma- Maxine. Maxine. Yeah, sorry, Maxine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much for that. Okay, good luck with it, Maxine. Thank you, bye. Thank you, now we have Margaret. From, now we have Margaret. From East Maitland, and okay. she's got a question about the jacaranda. Those two M names confuse me there. <laughs> Margaret, how can we help you? Oh, hi, Scott. Look, I've got a jacaranda, or there's two of them in at the moment. They've both been in about six or seven years. Yes. And I cannot get a flower on them. That's all right. I wouldn't worry uh, because it can take jacarandas some time to actually flower. Uh, when they're young plants, they, they just don't flower very well at all. They always seem to be scrawny little things. They're like the runt of the litter, jacaranda trees. And uh, Look, I, I would think once, you know, you're six years now, you know, this year, next year, year after, you know, I think you're going to get to a time when it will start to flower for you. Uh, it's what... about 30 foot tall. Oh, how, how have you got it that big? Well, I keep trying to cut it, but it's getting past me, and if it takes much longer to flower, I doubt if I'll live to see it. Right, okay. Look, after that after that period, if it's that big, you'd think it would have flowered. Uh, yeah. the, the thing about the jacaranda tree as well is it comes from South America. It actually comes up, uh, comes from, uh, I guess, what would you say, up in the mountains on, on the mountain plateaus. Uh, it also does well in Zimbabwe as well, where it's drier. And so the plant actually likes to be a little bit stressed. So it likes that, uh, you know, getting watered, then drying right out, getting watered, drying out and stressing out. And there was always the old wives' tale. We're going to mention those a couple of times today. That, uh, you know, if you went up and hit the uh, trunk of the jacaranda with a stick a few times or hammered a nail into it, that it would stress the plant and force it into flowering for you that year. I, I don't know if that's, if that's going to work or not. But it I, hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've obviously given it a few kicks as you walk past. Yeah, and look, I'm on tank water and, it, it, you know, it's lucky to get hosed once a week and we've got a clay-based soil. So, um, you know, I yeah, I'm about to the stage of cut it down and dig it out because it's just been... I mean, it may have been there a lot longer than five years. Time flies yeah, when you're okay. having fun. Well, like you said, if it's 30 foot tall, it probably has been there longer than five years because they're fairly yeah. slow growing in those first four to five years. Uh, look, I'm wondering if that clay soil that you mentioned might be having an impact on the plant as well uh, in, in that, you know, it's not, you know, that's not the sort of conditions that they're used to. Uh, right. Yeah, so I'm wondering if it's just generally not the right right spot for it. Okay, then. Thank you very much. That's all right. Good luck with it anyway, Margaret. Go give it one last kick for us. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, thanks, Scott. Okay, bye. bye. Cheers. Thanks, Margaret. We've got Robert now from Akari. He's got a question about Bougainvillea. 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 Oh, yes. 
Oh. Yes. Hey, Robert, how can we help you, mate? Oh, hey, good afternoon, Scott. Look, I've got uh, three potted bougainvilleas. Two are well over 30 years old. Yes. And they became very scrappy and not as full of flower as they used to be. Yes. So I trimmed them up, not harshly, but I trimmed them up. But it looks like two of them are dead. Oh, okay. And the, and, and the other one is one of those Zeras, the miniature type one. Yeah, the little Bambino ones. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was bought earlier this year, and I trimmed that up after it had stopped flowering. It's got shoots on it. Good. But it doesn't seem to want to shoot, uh, grow the shoots. But the other two, would they be dead or, or would they slow in shooting again? Or Look, what's might, the problem with them? It might just be that they're slow in shooting. Of course, bougainvilleas are probably one of the toughest plants out there. I know. And you can you can cut them back, you know, very very hard. People use them as bonsais. In fact, uh, you know, yeah. I've seen you know bougainvilleas pruned hard against walls, you know, back to almost stumps, and they just yeah. shoot back on for you. Uh, Look, are you watering? Tell me about your watering with the plants. Well, well, of course they're in pots uh, every second day if, it, if it's been dry. Yes. So I do keep the water, but apparently they don't need a lot of water. I'm not quite sure, but anyway, I keep the water up to them. Yeah, look, they they don't need a lot of water. Um, I talk about my trip in Seville actually when I was in Spain, and it's really really dry there. And I saw one of the most magnificent bougainvilleas that. Uh, that I'd ever seen um, at, at the Alcazar Castle there up this wall, and it, it had been pruned back and pruned back over, you know, probably you know hundreds of years to um, to keep yeah. make this plant look like that. All I would suggest um, for you, Robert, is to grab some secateurs, go out to the plant, and just yeah. start at the end of the plant, just start snipping down and see if if the wood is still green. Uh, if it's not, right. you know, if you're just cutting into dead wood, uh, it might be ch- you know time to toss them out and start again. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. the only way you're going to find out. Uh, you're watering it. You're doing all the right things there. Yeah. Uh, it's the but time of year when. It, the, yes, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say it's the time of year when it should be shooting on now. Yeah. Uh, and getting ready to flower. So I would go out and and give it a snip back with the secateurs to see right. if there is some still if still some green wood in there. And if so, uh, persevere. Keep on watering it. Uh, and uh, just see what happens. Don't fertilise it at this point in time. Um, right. Yeah, just just water uh, would, would be the thing. Right. And what about the vera, the the newer one? The shoots are there, but not grow. They won't sort of grow. They just you can see them, but no sign of growing, getting any bigger. Yeah. Uh, look, with that, I probably would give that a light <laughs> fertilise using a liquid fertiliser, right. just to try and right. bounce it. Uh, right. I, look, I can't speak for the last five weeks, but I do believe it has been a little bit chilly over here every now yeah, and again. Yeah, that's what I'm frightened of. Yeah, I, look, I wouldn't be worried now. I think our nights are warming up enough, but it could be that, you know, you had some hot days and it was cooler, hot days again, and, and the plant's just a little bit confused and it's waiting for some consistency, uh, which hopefully right. now we've got, uh, you know, as the nights are starting to warm up and it will just shoot on and some liquid fertiliser will help it with that. Right. Well, I'll just sneak another one in. I've got a peace lily or sapphirillion, whatever it's called, yes. in a pot. It's never really flowered anyway, but last year it looked so sick, I pulled it all out and cut it apart and repotted it. It's growing beautiful leaves and that, but why won't it flower? <laughs> Sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind. Is it one of the big leaf ones or one no, of the... No. The, the, the... no, it's only the small, ordinary type, the small one. Yeah, and you've got it in a half-decent potting mix? 
sorry to say no. No. <laughs> Look, that, that might be a cause of your problem then. Uh, to compensate right. for that, I'd start feeding the plant. Uh, there's a, uh, a product called uh, Flourish uh, Flower and Fruiting. Uh, right. And there's also one for indoor plants as well. I'd use the uh, flower and fruiting one. It's going to be high in potash. And once you start using that, it won't be an instant effect, but after probably three to four weeks, it'll start to build up in the soil and you st- right. should start to get some flowering out of that. Uh, what are the conditions uh, the plants in? Are they, uh, you know, in deep well, shade? Inside. No, they're inside. It's inside. The, the, the peace lily's inside. Uh, the other ones are out in the sun. Okay. They get to feel the sun all day. Yeah, look, that, that's all right. They, they obviously do do very well. Uh, inside in those indoor conditions. Uh, They don't like particularly being out in the full sun. If you're going to have a plant outside, you'd have it on a veranda or, you know, somewhere. No, no. No, this is inside. Yeah. Okay, look, then I would get some of that uh, flourish, uh, flowering and fruiting and uh, give it a a boost with that. Okay. Well, I appreciate your uh, time and effort. No, you're you're the one about to put in the effort, Robert. Uh, We're we're just sitting here sipping uh, tea and (laughs) and eating scones. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. You've got a good life. <laughs> Travelling the world and eating well. <laughs> oh, just a little bit too well. Greg was making some comment. Was, <laughs> I thought it was an inappropriate comment about my uh, stomach before, but uh, anyway, we'll see how we, we'll calm him You're down. Lucky you. <laughs> right, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Have a nice afternoon. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. So we've got Bernadette from at Camel, and she's got a question about the lemon tree. Hello, Bernadette. How can we help you this afternoon? Oh, hi, Scott. Good, thank you. Um, listen, I've got a lemon tree, and the last five years, um, I've it's been plagued with those stink bugs. Um, I almost cut it down this year, but I didn't, so I've cut it back really hard. But the um, the skin on the lemons uh, is really, really thick, and about quarter of the fruit is a bit dry inside. Yes, okay. So look, that, that's probably all pointing to the damage that the stink bugs are doing to the plant. So they're sucking the leaves and damaging it there. Uh, look, as to get, getting rid of those, uh, you used to be able to spray with, you know, for instance, Comfidor, um, you know, but it's pretty harmful to, to bees. So... I usually just get the vacuum cleaner oh. out and I suck them up. Oh, you're a lady after my own heart. That's, um, yeah. yeah, I've heard about that. And um, Yeah, so what I did this year, though, after I cut it all back, Every fortnight I've been spraying with um, just white oil. Yes. Um, and then I've been giving it uh, some citrus liquid fertiliser every fortnight. So, but yeah, the, the skin is still thick on some of the fruit that's on there at the moment. So I, I don't know how to fix that. Yeah, so thick rind on lemons uh, can mean that there's a lack of phosphorus in the soil. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, you can probably you can buy phosphorus, and so you can go and buy that and start adding that into the soil and fixing it up that way. Okay. What well, do you buy a bag of it? Do you? Yeah, you just buy a bag of it. Uh, look, you can probably get it as a liquid as well that you mix up and water in around the soil. But often, if the tree is big, uh, you're best just to get a bag of it and apply it around the, the the base of the tree and then water it in. How often do you do that? Uh, look, you do it. Uh, look, I would say once, oh, once every. You know, three to four weeks until you start okay. to see some change in the plant. All right. And what about the dryness of the flesh? Would that is that yes, some look, sort of deficiency as well? Yeah, look, that's also going to be because of the uh, the lack of phosphorus. I'd also okay. just make sure you're watering it well, especially when those fruit, you know, the flower and the fruit is set. Um, yes. That's that's the most important thing. All right. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. And look, just a general with uh, citrus uh, plants using poultry manure. 
Uh, we know Steve was talking about using pigeon poo before, but um, you know, not many people have pigeons flying around. Um, so look, some chicken. My daughter's on property. She's got cow manure. Is that any? Is no, that, that, okay? that that's the opposite. They don't like the acidity of the cow manure. They actually like the slight, uh, you know, alkalinity in the in the uh, poultry manure. So if you can get some poultry manure, I'd prefer that you use that. Okay. All right. That's easily got. Okay. All right, thank you for your help, Scott. Okay, thank you very much for that, Bernadette. Have a nice afternoon. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Cheers, we've got Kate now from Lambton, and she wants to know, is it too late to treat winter grass in the lawn? <laughs> Kate, yes. we've, got yes. short, we've got big short answers here for you this afternoon about winter grass. Yes. yes, it is a bit too late to do that. So it's like a field of winter grass. Yeah. Now, the only, thing, the only thing I'd say to you is it's still got its uh, seed heads on there. Have they dispersed already? Oh, yeah, I think they've just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Spread them around. Yeah, okay. Look, you, you can treat it. Um, now, it's, it's not going to hurt, and it might knock some of it out, but the best time to treat it is uh, with uh, winter grass killer in, yeah. uh, I guess, April, May. April. Oh, okay. Um, yes. You're actually using it as a pre-emergent, that spray, and it's trying to kill the uh, winter grass before it comes out of the soil and puts that seed head on because it, it, it yeah. seems to be the first thing it does. It pops out of the soil and that little seed head comes on. Uh, so yeah, look, I knew that it was pretty late, um, yeah. and for various health reasons and so on, I didn't get to do it. Um, anyway, um, I'll give it a go on one area and see what happens. Yeah. And, and what happens is it heats up uh, as we go into spring and summer. It just naturally dies off anyway, uh, so it sort of disappears. Give it a spray, see what happens. Any trouble with uh, winter grass killer spray? It used to be called Endothal. Is it is very expensive? I think it's like forty dollars a bottle now because it's only Ooh. made for made for once a year. Um, so that's the only time you can really use it and they, that's the only time they sell it. So just be aware of that. It's not exactly a cheap thing uh, to go and buy. But if you're going to do it, then you'd use that in April or May to try and use that as a pre-emergent to uh, to keep the winter grass under control then. Is there an expiry date on it, do you think? Oh, look, it'll last a, a few years for you. Um, so if you buy it, um, it's not as if it's going to run out in two months. Uh, no, you, I think I've got some, actually. Yeah, so just check um, and see what that is and um, give that a try. Okay, what should I be doing with azaleas right now? Uh, they should be in flower at the moment. They are looking quite nice. So if you do want to give them a light prune, uh, wait until they've finished flowering and then give them a, a light prune back. Okay. But otherwise, the- no, no feeding at the moment. When a plant's in flower, you leave it alone with feeding because it can stress it out and make it drop the flower. Yeah, how much water do, do azaleas need? Uh, look, they're only a shallow rooted little plant. Um, if you to dig one out, that's only a very, very small root system. So I would continue watering it, uh, you know, quite well, especially when it's got its flower on. Don't water over the top of the flowers. Just try and water in under the base of the plant uh, to get that water straight into the root system. If you water the flowers, uh, it damages them at this time of year as well. Yeah, they're pretty delicate, aren't they? They certainly are. They get a spray of water on them and they sort of go soggy and just mushy and just fall away. So if you want to keep that magnificent uh, sort of um, flowering that they've got at the moment, uh, yeah, just be careful with your watering. Okay, thank you. Good luck with the winter grass, Kate. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I still think we've got time for a couple more calls, Scott, and we've got Valerie from Morisset, and she's got another question about the lemon tree. Valerie, how can we help? Uh, well, I've got a dwarf lemon, or two of them, actually, mm-hmm. and they're about oh, close to 20-year-old or more. I brought them up from down home. And the punchline is, I've been up here a while, but the point is they're um, full of flowers, but you touch the flowers and, I'll say, 20% of them come off. 
and they're still in the blazer there with them, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's not unusual with citrus. They often set far too much flour. They get very oh, op- optimistic okay. about, uh, you know, what they're going to be able to, su- to sustain or not. Oh. Uh, in watering is very important at this time of year and f- crossing your fingers as well to hope that the uh, those, you know, those westerlies that we get during October don't appear and just blow the flowers off the plant. So, uh, yeah, look, heavy watering at this time of year. Yeah, well, I, they're in a pot. I've had them in pots. They're a dwarf one. I've had them in pots from oh. the way you go. And I actually, when I come up here, I put them in a bigger pot, so I've got more room. And I know I did see it already or somewhere. They do keep the... I pruned around the base of them, so, you know, there's no branches down the bottom. They're all up higher. Yes, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but it's just full of bloom, and I've only got about two or three bees coming around on it, admittedly. But I just go out of a day and they're dropping, and then I just touch and they go, bloop, bloop, yeah. and about two left of left on the thing. And then there's full of buds coming, bud, buds are coming. So, so is that, well, that's all right, is it? Because that, I was going to check one of my neighbours because she's got a lemon tree in the ground, and I was going to check if it's raining here now, so I'm not worried. I'll um, go and check and see if I touch her flowers, they come off. Yeah, look, pro- probably not to the extent, and it's just because the, uh, the plant in the ground's got a bigger root system, it's got more, uh, you know, that it can draw on, more moisture it can draw on. So, yeah, water is the main thing for you at the moment. Uh, yeah, also, they do get water. Whatever I got to say, I think I just drop one morning and afternoon, they get water. The lemon trees, definitely. And oh, and a community tree I've got in the, in the pot too. It's a, a big one. And um, it comes to buds, but you touch the buds, they drop off. Right. Look, the other thing you might do, I was going to suggest, is get a wetting agent as well, because sometimes potting mix uh, starts to become hydrophobic, and that means the water is just going straight through it, not actually True. being absorbed. So a wetting agent's a great thing, especially for a plant like a citrus. Again, with camellias, yes, they'll overset their bud as well. Uh, you know, all, all plants just get, like humans, we get optimistic, and we like to think we're going to do better than we actually are, and... Um, Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, um, but uh, plants do that every year. Um, so, yeah, look, don't be concerned about it. Uh, just make sure that you're doing as much as you can and crossing your fingers that we don't get those, uh, those westerly winds. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it, oh, well it's, yeah, they do. I get the southeast, uh, nor-eastly I'll come, nor-eastly I'll come, so I'll cross it more than I do the westerlies on it. But yeah. as I said, I just want to check that I've got, always got little pickles all over. I go through every day, just touch them, and they go, plomp, plomp. <laughs> so it's okay if I keep touching them, let them um, drop off, or so help them drop off, or just let it go itself. Look, not, not going to hurt, but just let them do it itself. They'll, they, you know, they'll work out what they can handle and what they can sustain on the plant or not. All right, then. Okay, buddy, I think that was it. Then, as I say, the camellia, that's uh, nothing unusual for that to lose. It's in a big pot. Um, it's pretty old. I'd say it's about 10-year-old now, but it comes out... Um, and I touch the buds and some stay, some drop off and I think, oh, not again. And I do put that um, yum, dum, dum, sea salt. Is that all right for him? Yeah, look, that's just good for the root system of the plant. But look, again, it's just a sign that the plant's stressed. So, um, yeah, look, heaps of water and yep. uh, hopefully you, you won't have any more problems with it. Thanks for that, Valerie. Okay, buddy. okay cheers. All right, you have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for that, Valerie. Scott Sharp, we're out of time for another week. No, we steamed through there. Great to have you back. Yeah, like the Flying Scotsman we were. (laughs) And you're back again next Monday. I will be here. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.